0: Hey guys, on today's pod, I had on Christopher Klein of the Sixer Sense, fan website covering the Philadelphia 76ers. Chris is one of the best guys to cover the Philadelphia 76ers right now. We talked about the most recent game between the Raptors and 76ers, and you know, just used the game as a launching off point to what we expect to see moving forward, what are some of the bellwethers to watch in a seven-game series. And just overall takeaways from this game that we suspect to be sustainable for future performances. Like I said, Chris is one of the best guys covering the Sixers right now. I was really happy to have him on the pod. And I always think it's good to have on writers for other teams to give us a different perspective because obviously you get in a one-track mind and just focus on Toronto when you have to worry about all 29 other teams, or at least 28, maybe not the Atlanta Hawks. To read some of Chris's stuff, you can go to The Sixer Cents, and you can always follow him on Twitter at Klein NBA, K L I N E NBA.
1: McGrady looking, looking, looking. Loops it in. Carter's going to get a shot off. He does.
0: Got it. Ross and Amir.
1: Here's Jose, 3 seconds, gets it to DeRozan, DeRozan's fading, what a tough shot, and it goes! Up, DeRozan with plenty up, of time, it's 5 seconds, DeRozan on the drive, and hit from the corner, Van Fleet,
0: Van Good, a 2, the Raptors lead with 1.1 to play. Hey Chris, how's it going? Good, um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, we are recording this the night of the Toronto Raptors Philadelphia 76ers game and i guess i should start off with the first question what do you think jv's mvp chances are at this time yeah i mean i think i think
1: you got to put him first after that game right
0: <laughs> yeah certainly yeah. so <laughs> the raptors finished beating the philadelphia 76ers 113 to 102 The game kind of teetered back and forth for much of it, Uh, the 76ers having a lead throughout the beginning of the first half, and then really the Raptors kind of controlling the game for the majority of the second. I guess first I'll ask you, Chris, what was your biggest takeaway from the game?
1: Yeah, I think probably the biggest takeaway was how well Toronto defended Embiid. I think tired legs probably played into his performance a bit, but he... They really did a good job of swarming him early, creating some turnovers. He wasn't getting the calls he wanted, and you could tell he was kind of just frustrated throughout the game. And they did a really good job of kind of controlling him. He only shot 5 of 17. Um, And really, the Sixers overall, outside of Butler, their core players really didn't show up too much. So I think that was my biggest takeaway.
0: Yeah, you saw that frustration kind of reach its tipping point when he got that technical late in the game. At that point, the game was largely decided, but you saw Joel really get frustrated with a couple of the ticky-tack fouls that the Raptors were getting him, and early on, he was getting, it seemed like he was getting a couple more calls. They had two Raptor foul players in, uh, or two Raptor, two key Raptors in foul trouble, and then, you know, that kind of started to wear off as the game got a little bit more physical during the second half.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Toronto did a pretty good job overall defending him physically. Ibaka had a really strong first half. JV did well down the stretch. And uh, outside of really Butler and Redick, the Sixers didn't find much consistency at all on the offensive end.
0: Yeah, it was it was pretty tough for the 76ers. The Raptors stuck with Kawhi Leonard on Ben Simmons rather than switching him over to Jimmy Butler. We talked a couple days ago, and we kind of thought that would be the plan. Do you think that... I mean, obviously it worked for this game, but do you think that was the right call, sticking Kawhi on Ben Simmons for the majority of the game?
1: Yeah, obviously it kind of depends on on how the game's going. Maybe once Jimmy got hot, we kind of saw them go to um, Kawhi a little bit more. But Simmons had a pretty bad game overall, seven turnovers. He had 11 turnovers last time these two teams played. So the Kawhi on Simmons matchup has worked pretty well for Toronto so far. So I think that's probably the right call moving forward.
0: And a lot of it is game dependent. The Raptors switch a lot, particularly kind of one through four, especially when JV's on the court, they switch one through four rather than one through five. But they switch a lot, so obviously those matchups are more fluid throughout the game. But it seems whenever they're coming out of a dead ball and whenever they get the chance to set their defense that they're sticking Kawhi on Ben Simmons Kawhi finished with five steals off the top of my head I'm not sure how many of those were on Ben Simmons but I have to believe a large portion of those came from harassing Ben Simmons throughout the game who like you said has now had 18 turnovers in two games against the Toronto Raptors
1: yeah obviously it's been a tough matchup for Ben so far and you know it's just something he's going to need to improve on making crisper passes and kind of a He has a really bad tendency at times to uh, pick up the ball early, and those are just things he needs to work on against better teams.
0: Yeah, and the team as a whole had 21 turnovers for the 76ers. ESPN did that in-game cut to Jimmy Butler, specifically mentioning to his team that they have to limit the turnovers. That's been something that really plagued the team before Jimmy Butler, and it's kind of died down since the addition of Jimmy. They're still not a great turnover team, but they've been turning over the ball less. Do you see this as still a problem for this team, or do you think it's something that will kind of get solved as the season goes through and they get more time with Jimmy?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely been a lot better since um, Butler's been with the team. I think part of it's Toronto just being a really good defensive team overall. The Sixers still have some bad matchups with guys like Reddick and Corkmosh, salmon off the bench, who can't really create their own shots. Simmons, who can't shoot from the outside. So I think part of it's matchup dependent just the better teams. Philly has to be more careful with the ball and get better in that respect. But um, obviously it's happened just about every time they've played a top tier team in the East this season, so it's definitely still a concern.
0: Right, and Philly shot the ball better from two, shot the ball better from three, and their free throw difference was pretty marginal. 11 out of 14 for the 76ers, 19 out of 22 for the Raptors. Really, the turnovers were. what was the biggest difference in this game. Um, Another thing I noticed is neither team shot the ball well from three. Philadelphia shot 31%, 11 out of 35. The Raptors shot 8 out of 29. Was there anything that you noticed in the game that kind of was a reason for that, or do you think that's just one game sample size, random spurt in the middle of December?
1: Yeah, I think that's mostly it. You know, Reddick hit five threes, Butler hit four, so... The two guys who were really on for the Sixers tonight didn't do too terribly in that respect. You know, Embiid was 0 for 4. Shamut was 0 for 4. Miscala was 1 for 4. And those guys are going to have better nights than they had tonight. So I think part of it's just, you know, a bad game in the middle of December. But overall, Toronto, again, defended really well. They switch a lot. They have a, really, a lot of really solid matchups on their end. So I think it's a bit of both.
0: Yeah and on the Toronto side you saw Kawhi shoot 5 of 6 Other than that it was pretty pretty dreadful performances from everyone Danny Green and Kyle Lowry shot 1 of 6 and 1 of 7 respectively So obviously you can expect that to improve I I would think both teams probably shoot it better in future matchups Although with both teams length I guess it shouldn't be a surprise that they shoot A little below their average from 3 But I just don't expect that kind of 3 point defense to be sustained in future matchups
1: yeah, yeah, I definitely think it's something that will improve in the future.
0: Another thing that kind of jumped off the page to me, even though Toronto did win, was Pascal Siakam's performance. He had six points. He did have six assists, so that was really impressive. However, it seems like Ben Simmons is a pretty tough matchup for him. He, Ben Simmons is someone who is just as big as Pascal, just as long as Pascal, and just as fast as Pascal, which is obviously something that he runs into very infrequently is this something that you know obviously ben has been touted as a good defender do you think that this is something that you can expect from him moving forward to kind of stick with pascal like that
1: yeah i think again as we've said many times it's kind of dependent on game flow who does who but siakam's doing really good this season and kind of taking him out of the picture he got into some foul trouble in the second half, and taking someone like Siakam out of the picture is always valuable. Simmons been, has been really solid on defense this year. He can kind of guard across the positional spectrum, as we all know. So if that's a matchup that's working, I, I would expect them to stick with it in future matchups.
0: What else kind of just stuck out from this game where, you know, each game you look at is a data point for projecting future performance, specifically? Specifically when you talk between two teams, was there anything in this game that you kind of noticed and like, well, that was an interesting wrinkle that I did not expect to see or something that you think kind of bold's important for future matchups between these two teams?
1: Yeah, I think overall, aside from, you know, the fourth quarter and kind of the end of the second quarter, the Sixers were in the game for the most part. You know, they've had issues with turnovers, obviously, but they played really solid in the first quarter, kind of the first half of that second quarter. It was just when they started turning the ball over and had the, a few bad sequences where they let Toronto get out and run and kind of get out and transition and hit shots. That's where it really went downhill. So you really just need to, they need to work on ways to limit the Raptors' transition opportunities and kind of just cut down on turnovers. I think Embiid, more often than not, is going to have a better game than he had tonight and I think that would help. So, you know, it's a tough loss, but overall there was definitely still some positives to take away, just things they need to work on.
0: Sure. What, besides Embiid, did you watch and you thought, well, that won't stay consistent in the next matchup as far as a player kind of underperforming their expectations?
1: Yeah, I think... More often than not, I know Simmons has had trouble with the um, the Raptors, but he looked pretty solid early in the game. I think as long as he's aggressive, they can kind of work with him into the post more often. He's probably going to perform better than he did tonight. Wilson Chandler had some solid moments on defense, even though he didn't get much going on offense. So if he can hit some more threes, be a little more assertive on that end, I think he'll have a bigger impact. And as I mentioned earlier, Mescala, Korkmaz, Shamit, they didn't really shoot the ball too well. Normally they'll probably give more of a boost off the bench. So I think there were a few guys who kind of underperformed relative to normal expectations.
0: I I agree with most of that. The, the argument I would make on Ben Simmons is are we sure in a playoff series when a team gets even more time to game plan for his lack of a jump shot, are we sure that that's going to improve when you can put someone like Kawhi Leonard on him consistently? I think the turnovers will be... Reduced, And I think that's something that will happen as we head into the postseason. But are we sure that he's going to have better offensive performances than this moving forward?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think he's made a lot of improvements this year in terms of his footwork. And the Sixers have made a point to really get him into the post and put him in different positions to score without the jumper. So I think relative to last season where he really struggled, I think he will be a lot better in the postseason. Obviously, until he gets a jump shot, we're going to have games like this where he really struggles. I think the Raptors aren't particularly the best matchup. So, By no means do I think he'll be perfect or close to elite necessarily. But I do think, you know, relative to his past couple performances against Toronto, that he'll have better outings.
0: Another guy you touched on there was Wilson Chandler. Chandler's was one of six today and one of three from three. He's really, you know, unassertive, and obviously when you're around four talented players that he plays the majority of his minutes, you're not going to be – you don't want Wilson Chandler having a usage rate of 25% or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. do you think he needs to be more assertive at least to kind of keep the defense honest?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you saw, especially in the second half, he kind of passed up a couple open threes. Just making sure the defense respects him out to that range – you know, making sure they uh, that he poses at least some semblance of a threat as a shooter is important. He doesn't obviously need to have a high-usage game or anything, but just taking those open shots, maybe being a, more, a little bit more aggressive on drives to the rim. He has the ability to attack closeouts, attack mismatches in the post. You want to see him probably take a few more open looks than he did tonight.
0: As we kind of zoom out from this game specifically, and more just focus on the 76ers. What would you say is kind of the biggest weakness of this team moving forward?
1: Um, I think still turnovers are something they need to address. Defensive versatility, especially with the second unit, can still be a real issue. Shame at McConnell, Muscala, and Cork, Mass, who are the four guys who are Arguing the mo- majority of the bench at, t- at this point. None of them are really switchable, high-level defenders on the perimeter. So that's an issue they'll need to uh, address. And just cutting down on turnovers against, again, these high-level, versatile defensive teams, those are the two things that they're really going to have to hammer home and address.
0: Do you think they address those through the trade market, through the buyout market, through internal improvement? Yeah, I definitely
1: think the trade and buyout market are two – areas that the Sixers are going to attack just like they did last season. Brandon and Brett Brown have both mentioned numerous times that this is kind of the beginning of the Sixers' championship window and that they're moving closer to a win-now mindset. So I think if any beneficial moves are possible on the trade or buyout market that the Sixers are going to be really aggressive. They still have the uh, taxpayers' mid-level exception, I believe, to use in free agency, which is an advantage that most competitive teams don't have. So that might help them attract one of the higher level guys like Trevor Ariza if he ends up getting bought out, etc. So I do think they're going to look to add another piece or two.
0: It does feel like if Trevor Ariza ends up getting bought out and if he's not traded, I fully expect him to be bought out. It does feel like it's going to be a war between Philadelphia and Houston for him, don't you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the familiarity factor might, you know, make him lean towards Houston, but if, again, if the Sixers can offer more money, maybe even a bigger role, I think that's something he would have to consider.
0: Well, Houston still has their full taxpayer mid-level as well, so All right. yep. so yeah, it would yeah then it would be a tough sell, but I think the role yeah. perhaps might be bigger in Philadelphia, or at least an easier path, depending on how much you see Houston struggle. You know, if it gets later in the season, Houston's still struggling obviously that's something he'll probably have to factor in.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a factor, but I think I think Houston's eventually going to pick it up. They, they're too talented to not at least improve on where they're currently at. So if they if they have the same amount of money, I would probably expect him to lean towards returning to Houston.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, another guy that possibly is coming back to this team due to injury is Zaire Smith. Do you expect him when he gets help? First of all, I guess, when is – when do you expect him to be fully back and when he's fully back do you expect him to be a contributor to this team or is he just you know he was one of the more raw draft prospects do you just think that he's too raw to probably contribute to this team right away
1: yeah i mean at this point i know he lost a lot of weight during his recent um injury complications he had an allergic reaction to uh i believe it was sesame seeds and uh he had some complications with his surgery lost a lot of weight. sounds like he's behind on his rehab. I don't think he's going to get back until well after Christmas at this point. And some recent comments um, from Brown and company sounded like they were kind of leaning towards using the G League more this year to develop him. So I really don't expect much out of Zaire this season. He obviously projects as a really solid perimeter defender, which is something the Sixers can use. But he obviously needs to work on his three-point shot and just getting back into basketball shape. So I wouldn't really expect too much out of him this season
0: right yeah it just seems for him right the watermark is going to be whether he can hit those corner three pointers so you can use his defensive talents because his defensive talents are important and obviously you want them on this team but until he's able to space the floor adequately it's hard to imagine him getting run.
1: yeah i mean i think he has the makings of a really solid maybe even elite on ball defender um, but yeah, until he improves his offensive game, he doesn't really have great handles at this point. Hasn't proven consistently that he can hit from deep. He's gonna kind of be a liability on that end. So he has some developing left to do before he's a consistent contributor.
0: Is there something in the water in Philadelphia where your first-round picks have to be injured after the first season for the first season?
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's really weird because. You know, I don't think there's any other team where a guy could lose 20 pounds after complications with an allergic reaction.
0: Yeah. You know, no
1: one really blinks an eye. It's like,
0: (laughs) it doesn't happen anywhere else. Yeah, you don't see a lot of allergic reaction injury reports. But here we are, and obviously the 76ers find themselves in a unique situation, and the most unique of those situations is Markel Fultz. Since the last time we talked, we've received a comment from mm-hmm. Raymond Brothers, Marco Fultz's agent/ slash lawyer. It feels weird that they use the term lawyer rather than just his agent, but I, I get I guess that's a tangent. We can go on another day. What was your reaction to the news from Raymond Brothers and do you look at this as a positive for Marco that we finally have some kind of diagnosis to look to?
1: Yeah, I mean, if it if it's what's best for him is to go take a few weeks off and get physical therapy, if it's a legit issue that needs to be addressed, then it's definitely a positive. I don't think the Sixers should be in any rush to get him back right now, especially with how well TJ has played. But there's obviously kind of some, uh, you know, a fishier side to the story in that he saw 10 specialists, and it took really a long while for him to get to this diagnosis. So, uh... You know, there's two sides to the story. We still don't have a really clear picture of how we got here, or what contributed to the injury, or if this is new, or if it has been, if it's related to what happened last season or not. But uh, you know, at this point, you're kind of just hoping for him to get healthy, get in the right mindset, and maybe contribute off the bench down the line.
0: Uh, maybe to put you on the spot here, about how much do you quote unquote like kind of buy this diagnosis? It feels like. It's been a search for something kind of looking for something or do you think that this has been medically an issue the entire time and it just hasn't been found until now
1: yeah you know that again it would kind of depend on we still don't have a really clear picture of what happened last season how he got, how the shoulder injury started in the first place so you know with more context it would probably be easier to judge but it does kind of feel like they're just searching for something at this point to kinda of make Markel look a bit better. But uh, obviously he's still having issues with the shot, the shoulder's been bothering him, so if that if it I'm all for him taking some time off to try to get healthy and look for more ways to improve.
0: How sick are you of talking about it at this point?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it it does get a little
1: irritating at some point you just you know it's just you really feel bad for Markel he's still 20 he's obviously going through a tough time and you just really find yourself just kind of pulling for him to get better to get healthy to get back to where he was before he's obviously a great kid by all accounts and you know it's just been a tough situation on all sides
0: yeah I think I think that's the toughest part is you see him still excited for his teammates and getting pumped for all these games and it would be so easy for a player in particular a 20 year old who's had the world handed to him so young to kind of just coil back and to be angry but by all accounts he's been a fantastic teammate throughout the whole thing and in many ways that's that makes it kind of harder to stomach just to see this kind of fall so quickly so Moving on from Markel, because obviously, well, I guess before we move on, I should ask one last question is, do you expect Markel to be on this team post-trade deadline? Um,
1: You know, I think it really depends on how the uh, next three to six weeks go with uh, physical therapy and what he looks like once he gets back. Because if he looks like the same player once he gets back, I think the Sixers would be more inclined to kind of cut the cord and move on. But if he starts showing improvement and he's getting better, I think the Sixers have still shown enough faith in him, both with teammates supporting him and with the front office and coaching staff supporting him to maybe hang on and wait one more, at least one more offseason to kind of see where things go. Plus, you could always trade him. If uh, something comes up or a match free agent wants to uh, sign over the summer, then you can look for trades then. So maybe they hold on to him to the end of the year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes sense. If he does stay on this team it past the trade deadline, and I know it's it's pretty hard to speculate at this time, but would you expect him to be in the rotation?
1: Yeah, I think Brett Brown would still make a point to get him some minutes. Again, I think it also depends on how much improvement he does or doesn't show. But once the playoffs hit, I think it's going to be pretty firmly McConnell unless we see some really serious growth from our
0: what, for this 76ers team, would you watch as kind of the point to look at moving forward? For this team, what will ultimately decide kind of the success of this team? Is it how Simmons and Embiid play together? Is it how Jimmy Butler's integrated? Or is it something smaller than that?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to be kind of addressing the bench and shoot issue and maybe looking for another piece or two. I still think they're pretty clearly... A piece or two away from contending with a Toronto or a Boston or Milwaukee and a lot of it's going to be integrating Jimmy Butler he had a really big game tonight which was good to see they really got him going early and often which hasn't been the case for a lot of this season so it's going to be just finding the right balance between Embiid and the other guys and really making some upgrades on the bench hopefully.
0: These big games to me they kind of They show me more than the regular games throughout the season, not only because you're playing an increased opponent, but just kind of putting yourself in these players' shoes. You play 82 games. Obviously, it's a long season. It feels like players kind of get up more for the nationally televised games and the games versus bigger opponents. With the Mm -hmm. shot distribution kind of shading more towards Jimmy, do you think when the games are the most important and when kind of this team is playing at their apex level that Jimmy Butler is going to attempt more obviously part of that is he was really effective tonight and you know attacking things but when this team is kind of at its peak playing at its highest level do you think that the shot distribution looks more like tonight's or do you think it looks a little bit more towards Ben Simmons
1: yeah definitely i think i think as the season goes on and especially during important games i think you want Jimmy Butler taking quite a few more shots than Ben and as we've seen in the past we all know that Butler also really goes hard in these bigger games so I'm sure he was really looking forward to this one there's been some friendly back and forth between him and Lowry before the game so I think this was a game Butler was really looking to go out and make a statement in but um, yeah like you said you know these players normally wake up for these bigger games which is kind of why it was disappointing to see him beat struggle so much he looked a bit tired especially in the second half and the frustration kind of got to him. So that was a bit disappointing. But I do think as the season goes on, especially in the bigger games, we're going to see more and more of these Jimmy Butler outburst.
0: Yeah, it's with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, because they're so good, it's kind of easy to forget how young they are. To me, it's young players kind of come more prepared every single day for games. And you saw today in the game Kawhi, but- or Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler, I'm sorry, each kind of had their offensive explosions. I don't think that it's any mistake that they both had their explosions on national TV against the team's biggest opponents. I I think that's a very conscious effort of just as a veteran needing kind of that extra little pump up for a regular season game in the middle of December.
1: Yeah, I definitely think Butler kind of went out with the mindset that he was going to kind of set the tone in this game. And, uh, yeah, again, Simmons and Embiid in the playoffs in kind of these big matches has historically struggled at times. So they're going to need Beller to step up when Embiid and Simmons aren't playing at their best.
0: As we look kind of forward to a seven-game series between these two teams, what would be your expectation for a seven-game series right now? And what could Philadelphia do in the next, I don't know, thirty or 50-plus games to kind of change your mind on that?
1: Yeah, I think right now Toronto's the pretty clear favorite, probably in five or six games. Um, I think that's probably where my prediction would stand at this point. If they're able to, again, add some more defensive depth on the uh, to the second unit, if Ben can kind of show more, can kind of cut down on turnovers, be more assertive, get inside, score at the rim, if those things fall into place, I think Philly has the talent level to make it a really competitive series. But right now, I still think the Raptors are pretty clearly the top team in the East.
0: Oh, top team over the Celtics? Still, you would think at this time, as well. Pardon? Sorry, I said I, I said the that. top team over the Celtics and Bucks as well at this time. Yeah, I would I would say so. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Uh, still think that the Celtics probably have the top line talent that matches up as well as anybody with the Toronto Raptors. Um, kind of a couple last things before we get you out here. Watching, if I'm a Toronto fan and I'm watching Philadelphia on a random Thursday night, what what do you think that Phil, Toronto fans should kind of look for when they watch this team that they might not otherwise know? What's kind of something fun yeah, to I watch? Mean... I would say normally I think Shamet
1: is probably – he's really one of the more surprising rookies this season. He's had some really nice games off the bench recently. He's normally going to be better than 0 for 4, 2, for 6 from the field. He's going to have some bigger outbursts. McConnell is always one of the more lovable fan favorites off the bench. And, you know, Ben Simmons and Embiid both have a lot more entertaining games in them. Um, you know, normally they're going to be a lot more effective – leave a much bigger mark on the game. So I think they're probably two of the most entertaining stars in the conference, not the league. So normally you're going to get a better shot out of them too. Uh,
0: Shamit's really fun to watch, in my opinion. He just he moves just like J.J. Reddick, so it's nice that you guys have someone on the floor at all times that kind of just weaves and moves and constantly curls around screens in that kind of fashion. He, his game looks like a mirror image of J.J. Reddick's, if not, quite as polished at this point in time, he has a lot of similar kind of characteristics in his game.
1: Yeah, and I actually wrote about it um, about a week ago about him kind of being the heir apparent to Reddick's spot in the rotation. And it's really interesting because he was really more of a point guard at Wichita State, so he's really had to pick up on a new role quickly and just how quickly he's picked up on all of Reddick's cues, all the off-ball movement. He's really adjusted nicely to a new role at the next level, and that's, I think that's been really impressive.
0: McConnell is someone you mentioned, and for Raptor fans, I think the easiest parallel is Fred VanVleet. Fred is probably a little more talented, although you haven't been able to see it so far in the first 30 games of this season. As far as a score and a more talented shooter from three-point range, both are very annoying to play against, and I mean that in the biggest compliment, is that it would just be... It would be exhausting, quite frankly, to have T.J. McConnell guard you for however long that he's in the game each night.
1: Yeah, I definitely think they're comparable just in their size and their tenacity. As you said, Game Bleed's a much better shooter. He probably makes a bigger impact on offense, but they're both just really kind of fun, fan-favorite guys who are easy to cheer for and do for maybe a momentum-swinging player or two on defense each night.
0: And then lastly, I'll just... Is there anything kind of, as you're a huge NBA fan in general more than just the Sixers, is there anything around the NBA that you're just kind of looking forward to this season?
1: Um, I've been really, really enjoyed watching uh, Luka Doncic lately. He's obviously, he's been the Mavs' best player basically to this point. I think he's lived up to all the hype and then some. I'm a big draft guy. I was always high on Doncic coming in. I had him pretty firmly in the top tier. So just seeing him pan out and be so good right away, the Mavericks are, have been really solid these past few weeks. I think that's probably been one of my favorite storylines recently.
0: Yeah, um, he's a he's the best offensive player on a above five hundred team, which is something you can't really say about m- many rookies. And maybe Ben Simmons last year, although I guess Joel Embiid would have been above, it Donovan Mitchell, I guess. Would be another one, but other than that, there's. It's really hard to be the most talented player on a team as a rookie, and Doncic at least offensively is the best player on the Mavs right now. Yeah, I
1: mean he's been playing with a pretty high
0: usage, and he's been really
1: efficient, which at 19 isn't really um, normal. So he's been really impressive. He's obviously a pretty generational talent, so I'm excited to watch him some more this season.
0: Yeah, some of the difficulty of the difficulty of degree on his shot attempts are absolutely insane. He's already hitting setback jumpers, which is something you don't typically see. Um, Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much again for coming on the pod.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.